Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation. RFI is a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you with leaders from across responsible finance to highlight what they're doing and how it can help to advance responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Will Olden, Global Head of Responsible Investment at First State Investments. First State is a global asset manager with $168 billion in assets under management, and the focus of the discussion with Will is how asset managers can develop a consistent statement of investment belief that guides their firm-wide decision-making process for responsible investment. What's unique about First State's development in this area is that they surveyed their own staff, including both investment professionals and those whose day-to-day work does not involve responsible investment. By doing the survey so broadly across their firm, they wanted to get a representative picture of their employees' investment beliefs. And in doing so, they found some interesting insights. So let's get to our conversation. So I guess just to start the interview, could you introduce yourself and outline your role at First State and your background in responsible finance? Uh, I'm the Global Head of Responsible Investment for First State Investment. Uh, we're a global asset management business. We run investment capabilities in equity, a lot of emerging market equities where we're, we're best known in fixed income and direct infrastructure. Oh, sort of primary asset classes and we have investment professionals around the world. Australia is technically our headquarters but we have a significant presence in the UK and also in the US, uh, in Hong Kong, Singapore and uh, various kind of sales and distribution offices scattered around sort of Asia, Europe as well. So we, we, you know, we are um, considered as you know one of the kind of leading thinkers in responsible investments and that's my job really is to ensure that we remain so. So I work with all our investment teams um, and all our other kind of key functions in the business to uh, to continue to develop our, our knowledge, our thinking, our application, our integration of ESG and how that uh, translates into what we deliver for clients. So it, you know, it's a role that is kind of multifaceted in terms of the touch points in the organization, but very much tasked with ensuring that we um, maintain you know, our leadership in, uh, in terms of what we're doing in responsible investment. Yeah, on that point, it, uh, I was reading the responsible investment report that you had put out recently for the past yeah. year. And one of the interesting ways that you've approached the development of your responsible investment policy is to survey your own staff to better understand their investment beliefs and convictions in relation to the value of uh, ESG and sustainability being integrated into the investment process. What did you hope to find from that survey? Well, I mean, the survey is the beginning of a process. Um, And and the background, too, is that we've um, been working with the global investment consultancy business, Willis Towers Watson, um, and in particular their kind of think tank part of their business called their Thinking Ahead Institute. So we've been members of that for two, two and a half years actually. And um, 
And one of the pieces of work that we were particularly interested in working on within that group and, and actually leading um, the, the work around that was there's been lots of work done with asset owners on defining and developing investment beliefs generally. And some, like CalPERS, have worked with Willis Towers Watson and taken that to, well, what are, what are the investment beliefs around sustainability, ESG, and, and so on? As far as we, we knew, nobody had really done that kind of exercise to any, any large degree within an asset management business. So we thought that was kind of an interesting um, question for us and an opportunity because, you know, if we're going to continue to kind of develop um, policies and principles around um, our function and operation as an asset manager, which uh, are aligned with long-term sustainable investment, then we kind of need to, to understand what's the kind of anchor point for that for the business. So what do we, what do we believe as investment professionals and a, as an organization to build such uh, policies and approaches on? Um, and that, that was the kind of reason for really engaging in this piece of work. So we, we um, helped de design a, a kind of questionnaire with Willis Towers Watson based upon what they've been doing before and, um, and adapted that to um, an asset, a global asset management business. And um, uh, they describe us as a bit of a, as, as the guinea pig in this because um, we thought that this was uh, um, relevant not only to our investment professionals, but there was a, a clear direction from the leadership in our organization that every individual member of staff should be invited to participate in this process and be interested in their views. So that was that was the, 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 the survey, as you call it. So we did that. Um, we we gave that to uh, to everybody in the organisation and got um, a, a huge response. Well over 70 70 percent of our um, of our individual colleagues responded to this, and it was it was a, it was not an easy thing to do. It made people think quite hard about their views on on you know, these topics. So. We have all that data now. We've given us some of the raw snapshots of that in the ORI report, um, but really it's the beginning of the story. So what we're doing now is is looking at, you know, how can we look at where there was alignment of uh, strong alignment of belief statements and uh, and you know, the least alignment of belief statements within individual investment teams, but the organisation and its leadership as well. So. Um, we've got quite a, a rich data set. Um, we're beginning to go through that kind of team by team now. Um, and the next stage of that process is really to see where there is alignment on those particularly strongly held beliefs and, and to explore where there isn't, what the reason for that is, and is there a kind of just a misunderstanding or is there a, is there a genuine sort of compromise and shift in people's views where they the, the teams and the leadership team, the organizations can come to settle on a you know, a set of statements of investment belief around ESG, sustainability, climate, and so on. Because um, we asked a lot of wide-ranging questions from, um, you know, around, you know, time horizons, resource scarcity, climate risk, the, the mispricing of, um, of ESG issues, the efficiency of markets in terms of this information being available and utilized. So it was, it, there's quite a bit in there. Um, that we're now kind of working through, and you know, the premise is is that you know Willis Towers Watson have, have, have kind of stated in a number, many pieces of work they've done is that you know where where 
investment theory um, is a theory, and you know, real-world impacts are just not accounted for that. Um, you know, we know that Eugene Farmer won a Nobel Prize for his uh, efficient market investment theory, but it just doesn't take account of risks such as you know investors act, acting on incomplete information. So that is the ESG information part of that missing data set, or you know the kind of um, you know the behaviours and, and and biases that individuals have. Um, so the, the challenge really is that you know in the absence of you know reliable investment theory, then that we need to focus more on kind of a stronger stronger application of values and beliefs in the investment process. And you know to, to quote Willis Towers Watson, I mean they will say that that's one of the core attributes of best practice investors. So this is you know really a, 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 the beginning of this process, which will complete early next year to. You know, to to push us forward again, so we you know we can be still um, genuinely you know honest about the fact that we are trying to re enhance our understanding of ESG issues as long-term sources of risk and return. It will affect the culture of the of the business, and I'm going to have some impact on that. Um, it'll allow us to to benchmark our portfolios against a set of sort of belief statements um, as that evolves. So there's, there's many, many useful and quite challenging applications of this this project uh, uh, of which this, you know, the survey was really the first step. That's interesting. And and what was, was there a, a result that you found from, uh, from, all the employees that you, that you hadn't expected to to get in terms of either consistency or inconsistency in a particular area. Well, I think the first thing which was a pleasant surprise was the the amount of people who did it. I mean, the, the response rate was phenomenally high for this kind of thing. Um, you know, on on a topic where, you know, for example, all, you know, all the, the many people who work in our information technology department is not really part of their day day to day job. Um, they may have a personal interest in it, uh, in the topic and, and the subject outside of that, but you know, in, in a kind of work-based environment, limited. So the fact that we got, you know, from from that example and, and other teams across the business, a such a big response was very, very encouraging. Um, so what did that tell us? Well, the, the surprises there, well, nothing majorly stood out. I don't think. I think. Um, you know, there's a fairly high conviction across the business that ESG issues are, are financially material and material to long-term investment performance. You know, we would we would have hoped to have some sense of that. We and we found that um, there was a, a kind of a, also a fairly high conviction that the the issues are not factored into um, pricing effectively or efficiently today. Therefore, as an active management organisation, there's value to be had. In finding those companies that um, you know are, are good uh, or have improving profiles around managing their, their ESG impacts and the quality of their, their the ESG work, so it sort of reinforced the fact that we think this is you know this is a, 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 an addition to the quality of our investment analysis and our, our thinking, and therefore that should translate if we are. Good at that to, into superior long-term performance versus you know peers that are maybe not so uh, not so advanced. Um, 
the the one area that that um, you know I think possibly did did give us a a, a bit of a, a surprise was that there was a fairly high conviction level of conviction across the business that actually as an as a financial institution as an asset management institution um, we also have a responsibility and and um, a role in play to play in the kind of you know the, the the broader kind of sustainability agenda, so the quality of markets, you know, that we operate in, but you know, making sh making sure we're not not deliberately investing in companies that will be seen as unsustainable or you know, or causing you know problems or issues in terms of an environmental or, or a range of social agenda. So, you know, maybe people didn't fully understand the content, the, the concept of that question, but. There was a number of different different um, points that which were in this survey that were around that, and and that was higher than I would have expected. So I was encouraged by that, and and the consistency, you know, views was fairly good, um, and uh, so it's a valid data set for us that we've um, you know we've we've now started the process of translating and crunching those those data and then consulting with the business as to what that actually might mean. So I saw that there was, uh, in response to investment report, there was uh, an outline from each each different investment team around what their sort of working hypothesis was for how ESG uh, makes its way into the into the investment yeah. decision making process. Yeah. How how do you see that evolving with the uh, with the results that you've collected from the from the survey and the work that you're going to continue doing in this area? I think it kind of strengthens that, um, you know, that 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 approach, um, because we have lots of di we have a number of different investment teams. I think fourteen is the is the number we have. They all kind of have different asset classes or different um, uh, different approaches of particular sectors or, or and so on. For example, the global resources sector, you know, property sector. I mean, you've seen you'll have seen that in the report. Each team's got its own. Particular specialism, so we we see it's important and of value to keep their kind of unique characteristics and philosophy in terms of the you know their expertise in those asset classes. So um, th this this work is helpful in each of those individual teams to kind of you know continue to think about how ESG issues may influence. Impact and advance and help their own different investment processes, and and it gives it some structure because you know maybe that you know the certain individuals feel extremely strongly about that, others maybe not so, but kind of say yeah well okay get it. But th this process has given them the chance to to kind of settle or go through that process of settlement about what they really really as a team believe and it'll be interested to compare and contrast that with for example what our leadership team think um, so I, I there, there was a reasonable amount of alignment across the business it, there was no major major outliers that made us think well what, what's what's happened here but you know different levels of it, it did show there's different levels of complexity in different asset classes and uh, in particular, um, you know, example is in emerging markets, sovereign debt. It's it, you know, it is still difficult to translate 
a kind of equity-driven ESG agenda, which is you know where most of the work and the thinking has been done into such you know such an asset class. But things can be done, and this process helps crystallise some of those key areas which are you know material uh, compared to if you look at the equivalent of an equity team doing a whole host of things on you know engagement companies and, and different types of analysis. So it's again been helpful in recognising the challenges with different types of asset class um, and the and the state of development of the the kind of debate and the, and the discipline and approach that we see across the market today we're not we're not different to to anyone else but um it just helped it, uh, we find it very helpful and will do as this this piece of work com- continues to to develop to um you know to be able to settle on on, on where the value really might be and have you seen reaction from other people who have read the responsible investment report about about the idea of looking internally for and creating a deeper a deeper statement of investment belief and investment philosophy like this uh, that's sort of unique yeah. or specific to sustainable finance? Have you? What's the reaction yeah. that you've gotten from outside from other people? I put, I put. I'd categorize it into three camps. I mean, what one is the kind of the journalistic and commentator camp like yourself who are curious as to, you know, what why we've done this and what's it going to do, why and how, how will it translate? The the second one is our kind of investment management peers who are who are kind of more well, why are you doing this and what why do you see this as particularly valuable and you know, kind of are we missing a tricky by not doing this? But the but the most important one I think is is on our client base, and particularly our institutional clients, who can see that, you know, they understand investment beliefs in, you know, in their their work. And I think a number of them have commented to us, um, you know, anecdotally and sort of, you know, in in, in various forums that they see this this process in an asset manager is quite aligned to their own. So. You know, when we're all trying to seek to align interests with clients and make sure we, you know, we are the best asset stewards we can be um, in looking after their interests, then, then then this has been seen as as mostly positive, actually, from the feedback we've had. Um, so curiosity in our competitors as to what you're doing and why, you know, from our from client base, uh, it's been well received and and um, and applauded. And that ties into another area that's covered in the responsible investment report about the challenge of moving beyond, uh, I think, what it's termed a unidirectional nature of performance measurement. So the measurement of just financial returns. Yeah. And it comments in the report, uh, quote, if institutional investors are uh, able to accept and be recognized for playing their role in society and for allocating capital in the way beneficiaries expect, such multi-dimensional ways of assessing performance will emerge and become more widespread. Can you describe what yeah. this means from the perspective of the investor? How are they likely to use uh, this type of data to, to qualify or to uh, supplement the, the raw performance data? Yeah, well, I mean, what, what we were reflecting on, and, and the name we kind of selected for, for this year's um, report was rethinking performance because, you know, we've got a decade's worth of institutional experience and knowledge on this now. And, you know, and some things we've, we've found a huge amount of industry development on, 
and then other things just haven't changed. And and one of the things that hasn't changed is, you know, the view that performance is a you know percentage number versus some construct of a benchmark. And you know we think that's that's a, a highly narrow interpretation, and that you know in future and emerging now, then the beneficiaries of you know pension schemes and and investors in a range of DC or 401k or other products will actually start to to expect more in terms of actually what are the outcomes that my investment is is achieving or not or promoting in in the kind of real economy. And we've seen a constant sort of stream over the last couple of years of of data from you know generational cohorts like millennials that you know are indicating that this has become going to become a more important feature of their investment choices and who they who they will choose to take advice from and work with. So we're kind of setting the the the, the direction, I guess, for um, from our view to to say that well, you know, for us over the next decade, then we need to think a bit more about this and and try to start to think about how can we capture and measure these these impacts and outcomes from um, you know from a, a kind of standard investment portfolio, if you could call it that, you know, not not an impact portfolio, not an you know, an SRI portfolio, but just, you know, a, a kind of regular actively managed portfolio, whatever nature, you know, what, what is it and how can we go about capturing the outcomes of, you know, what those dollars invested with us are doing? So that that's what we're trying to describe. And we, we, we've seen things like, you know, the sustainable development goals being picked up by a number of institutional investors in terms of how they are now trying to sort of track and map you know their own investment outcomes to them. Uh, you know, that's another positive enforcing sort of signal to us. But you know we really want to be able to get to a point where we can we can present the investment long-term investment performance uh, of the, the the funds and products we create and run, but also sitting alongside that aligned with the environmental and social outcomes that those companies or those assets in that portfolio are actually generating for you know the world that we all kind of live in the final question was just more of a, a personal one on an observation of the responsible uh, investment industry and how it's developed you've been involved in various different capacities uh at first state and, and in previous previous jobs through a, a long yeah. transition period for the responsible investment uh, industry from an exclusions driven uh, focus towards now a more, more holistic uh, investment approach. What have you seen over that time period? How have you seen it, it develop and mature? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's, cha it's changed a lot as you, as you would expect. And, um, there has been that you know that move to from you know 15 20 years ago with the starting point of some things are are controversial and therefore bad and need to be removed from you know from any any thought of um investing any any capital into such entities so you know that was a fairly blunt uh, approach very sort of value, values driven as opposed to value driven um but over time there's you know i think there's been a number of kind of triggers which have, have caused a, a shift in view 
Um, you know, there's been some, you know, some some of them have been major corporate failures, um, mainly corporate governance related or kind of major environmental related problems, um, mostly. But you know, that of course a, um, a focus on more a greater desire for knowledge information and and therefore engagement with companies. But um, you know, a major trigger was the the introduction of the PRI a decade ago. Which, um, in in a way, legitimised in the mainstream the, you know, the fact and the approach to assessing sort of ESG factors as a legitimate part of a, you know, an investment process. And since then, there's been you know been a pretty much of a you know catalytic effect. I mean, the the data quality information available, the analytical tools have improved dramatically. You know, that's again given another leg up in terms of legitimacy in the you know mainly mainstream institutional market um this is beginning to sort of you know has been beginning to be you know, a bigger feature in the retail market but you know the, the, it's hard to find a, an institutional investor today that isn't doesn't have some capacity um some expertise or certainly some view or belief on the value of um of responsible investment as a discipline in the industry so I think some things haven't changed. I mean, there's still the persistent questions about, you know, show me how this impacts my financial performance. Um, the evidence is is grown. You know, I think it's a it's an odd question nowadays, but it still persists. Um, I think you're seeing a um, you know a, a change in behaviour of many investors to you know to not start with the kind of show me the money question but actually you know that you know how does this enhance my understanding of a, of a, a company or an enterprise or an asset or an investment um rather than the you know the sort of you know is this just an ethical screen and therefore um you know there's a performance sacrifice so i think practice has evolved um the quality of information has evolved and the debate has, has changed from um you know, fairly simplistic one to actually more, much more sophisticated view of companies, their interaction with society, their interaction with their shareholders, and um, you know, and, and what that means as long-term investors. So, a lot, a lot of a lot of nudges along the way. I mean, no, you know, no major, major, major step change, but there's been many, many kind of. You know, small steps and nudges along the way that have got us where we are today, and it's um it's a very different picture as as you could imagine and you will see from you know from 15, 20 years ago. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to get updates from RFI about our podcast or our other activities, you can find the link on our Twitter feed at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.